I'd like to speak this evening on the Lordship of Christ. You will always mark a cult out because one of the first areas that cults get wrong is his Lordship. Where, when we got his Lordship in the right place, all other truths will flow out from that point. So let me read to you from Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 15, please. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he, in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'd like to pray, please. Our Father, we ask you now that you will speak to us. We want to acknowledge that we believe as a denomination and as a church that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be no debate on that. It's part of our core beliefs that Jesus Christ is Lord. The challenge for us, Lord, is to translate that into our everyday living. And I just pray that as we look at your word and as we reestablish that great truth, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we will find ourselves drawn to walk with him closer, closer and to serve him better. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, it's a great subject and there's not a preacher in the room who would not like to be speaking on this subject. We find that the Lordship of Christ is vital to our faith. In Acts 2, when Peter stood up to preach on the day of Pentecost, when thousands came to Christ after the Holy Spirit shed upon the church, Peter made this tremendous statement in verse 36. He said, God hath made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Having this opportunity, soon after the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, he declares clearly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. First thing we notice from that verse is this, that we do not make Jesus Christ Lord. He is already Lord. What we do is take his lordship and apply it to our lives, surrendering our will for his. Because Peter says very simply, God hath made him. And the contrast of that verse is this. He's saying, this is what you did. You crucified him. You nailed him to a cross. You scourged him. You put a crown of thorns on his head. When you had done what you wanted God did something else. You crucified, God hath exalted him. And Jesus Christ is none other than Lord 
and Christ. Peter brings those two words together, both Lord and Christ. Lord very much is Lord. Christ is the anointed one. And so in those two terms, he pulls together the full identity of Jesus. And whether the United Nations took a vote on it, whether whoever took a vote, our parliament can take a vote, Mr. Boris can have a vote, they can all do what they want, because the lordship of Jesus Christ has been decided by God. It is God who has made him Lord of all. Important truth. And when we step out tomorrow, or even this evening, to live out our Christian faith, we have this assurance that no matter what others may say, God has declared him to be Lord. But his lordship is on, there is a basis for it. It is not only because of his identity, being the very son of God, but his lordship flowed out of something. We're told in Philippians 2, 8, 11, it says there, he humbled himself unto death, whereby God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And so when we speak of the Lordship of Christ, although it is inherent in him, it is his by very nature. He is the invisible God. We read it from Colossians, all those things. It isn't as if it's an arbitrary decision. In fact, his Lordship is something that we can honour because he humbled himself. If you read Philippians, we have some steps down and we have some steps up. He humbled himself, became a servant, even to the cross, whereby God hath highly exalted him, given him a name. I should really have done that, worked it out for you. But there are so many steps down to the cross. And then it says, God hath given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue confess, what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Back to Peter's theme, the God you crucified God hath exalted Jesus and made him Lord of all. And so when we think of his lordship, it's plainly declared, and let me tell you, it's richly deserved. Because when we come to him and we acknowledge him as Lord of our lives, that isn't just a statement. It isn't something, an arbitrary decision. He deserves to be my Lord. He deserves to have our worship and our submission because he humbled himself. Because he is the one who became a man, became a servant. In the title of tonight's sermon, I put together that from the manger to the carpenter's shop to the throne of God. Jesus deserves our worship because he humbled himself. Even if he hadn't gone to the carpenter's shop, if he'd never gone to the Jordan to be baptised, he would still be Lord of all. But how much more from our hearts can we acknowledge his lordship when we realise what he has done for us in that way. We move on a little bit further. And it tells us there that in, in um, 1 Peter 3, it says there, set apart or sanctify, set apart in your hearts Christ as Lord. The Lordship of Christ is not just a theological matter. In our fundamental beliefs, um, we have in there the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's something that our churches, we agree to and we support, all our ministers would agree to it, etc. So it's not just a theological thing. It isn't just a, well, I believe he's Lord, and we walk away. 
Because the very moment we acknowledge him as Lord, there is a spiritual implication for our own hearts and our lives. And we find here that the writer puts it very plainly here in Peter. He says, set apart in your hearts Jesus Christ as Lord. So we can sing about it. Very good. We can even preach it. We can put it in print and say, this is what we believe. But till he is Lord, he's set apart as Lord in my heart, then really it's just words, it's just talk, it's theology, as some would say. But when I take that Lordship, when I realise that the Son of God, the Creator, is none other than my friend, and he has become my Saviour, I set him apart one version says we sanctify him and set him apart as Lord in my heart. You see, there's room in your heart for lots of people. God is not in competition with your family or your, your uh, you know, whatever. It's not a matter of, well, if I, if I set apart Jesus as Lord in my heart, what about my family? There's room for your family. There's room for your partner, your husband, your wife or whoever. There's room. But when it comes to him, we set him apart as Lord. That's what he is. He's Lord. He has no competitor. I have family, my children, my grandchildren, my wife. They're not in competition. They're not in competition with each other. They're not in competition with him. Because I've set him apart. Because when it comes to his lordship, in spite of any jokes I may know about my wife being Lord, <laughs> she's boss. Lord, no. He is set apart as Lord. And as Christians, that's the challenge we face, where we have to translate this great truth that we believe, that Jesus Christ is Lord, richly deserved, clearly declared, it's when it comes into my heart. So tomorrow when I face that challenge at work or at college or at school, when I find myself wanting to do something that maybe I shouldn't do, I remember that he is Lord, that he's in charge of my life. I'm not in charge of my life now. I gave him my life. Please, it's not an easy thing. And I don't want you to think this man speaking to you now achieves it. Oh, no, no. There's a challenge every day for him to be Lord of our hearts. So we set him apart as Lord in our hearts. It tells us in Proverbs, and you'll know the verse well, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That lordship is in acknowledging him. I just wonder when I get to heaven, and I am going by the way, just in case <laughs> the two of our kind friends there, so affectionate towards me at times, um, you know, you know, I've got, I, I'm, the conversation is going to like this. Gordon, if only you talked to me about this, I could have helped you then. You know when you were invited to preach at KT, I wish you'd have spoken to me first, you know. You know, in all the ways acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. His lordship, his involvement in our life, not only means that I believe it's a truth, I set him apart in my heart, but I've got to acknowledge it. I've got to say, Lord, here we are, we've got a week coming up ahead of us, Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, the first thing he wants you to do is go to work. So if you're thinking he's going to tell you I have a lie, and he's not, right? But we acknowledge him. And his lordship has to be acknowledged. When you want to get angry with someone, you acknowledge him and you curb that. When you want to take vengeance, you stop. You curb that because you acknowledge his place in your life. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Then 
He is free to direct our paths. The Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's his lordship. When I come to God and I say, your will before my will. I want to do this, but your word declares I should do that. And when I do that, his lordship comes into place. I acknowledge who he is. You see, I'm a child of God. And if you're a Christian here, you are. And if you're not a Christian here, you can become a child of God. It's, I'm going to say it's, it's easy. It really is. But I'll maybe in a moment speak about that. But we acknowledge him and he, he will direct our paths. The advice, the counsel that we need. You say, well, I don't know what to do. I'm seeking God's will about something. Well, acknowledge his lordship. Acknowledge that he is in charge of your life. And then he can direct your paths. But if we don't acknowledge him, we just get on with it. All the mistakes, major mistakes I have made is because I have not acknowledged him and allowed him to direct my paths. So his lordship is declared. Jesus has been made Lord of all by the Father. He is to be set apart in our hearts. He will guide our ways. We find in Acts 10, 36, he is Lord of all, both in creation and mankind. You see, he's Lord of all. The secret, the difficult part is, I don't mind Jesus being Lord of my, um, my career. I don't mind him being Lord of my social life. But I don't want to make him Lord of my finances. Or swap them all around. I want him to be Lord of my career, but um, I don't want him to be Lord of my relationships. Friends, the Lordship of Christ, if it's going, we are going to realize its full potential to strengthen us and encourage us and acknowledging who he is, it has to be the whole package. Now, when I became a Christian, they used to have a phrase, if you're ancient like me, you may remember it, if he's not Lord of all, I don't know why I'm looking at you, Amanda, when I said someone my age, you're so much younger than I am, but you know, um, in all, sorry, I've lost it now. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Thank you, all the pensioners. <laughs> Thank you, the pensioners. We have a special coach for you to take you home. No, okay. Do you know, I'm only a pensioner when there's a discount. Other than that, I'm only 12, you know. Um, and I know what the man meant or the woman that wrote that meant if he's not lord of all he's not lord at all i actually don't believe that i believe he's lord of my life even if there are areas of my life i've yet to surrender all that's happened is he's not lord of all my life and it's the areas where he's not lord where we will face the challenges where we think we know better than god's word we think we know better than the moving of god's holy spirit then we find ourselves in trouble. So he's Lord of all. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus says these words, Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? See, his lordship is not only a, a truth, it's a practical truth. And he challenges people, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? How many parents have said similar words to their children? I'm your parent, you'll do as I say. 
you know, and um, that's it. And Jesus just gently says, listen, you're saying Lord, but you do what you want. If I'm Lord, you wouldn't do that. If I'm Lord, you wouldn't say that. If I'm Lord, you wouldn't have that attitude. If you had, if... And it runs out into so many areas of our lives. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? I wonder if there's something Jesus is saying to you that you're not doing. Now, he's still your saviour. He's still your Lord. But in acknowledging him and saying, Father, I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to do it because your word tells me to. And there's a blessing that you will find amazing. We often think your blessings are received and please we pray with people if there's a, a, a church that wants to pray with you it's this church be no doubt about it but you know the blessing of obedience is something that many of us have yet to discover where we put him first and ourselves second when we want to do that but we say well I won't do that Lord I'll do what you want and in that moment there is such a witness of the Holy Spirit such a witness of the peace of God as we bring ourselves in line with God's word. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? Scripture tells us simply that if we have to become Christians, we have to do what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. I've mentioned this before. I make no apology for repeating it. The night I became a Christian in South Harrowful Gospel Church, just up the road, the man who counseled me that night, Cliff Tite, who's now with the Lord, said these words to me. You're not accepting Jesus Christ as your saviour. You're accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. I had no idea what he was on about. I'd come in through an invitation. I was on my way of being excluded from school. I, was, I just had no theological understanding at all. I've got, I've got a great one now. But he would not separate the word Lord and Jesus. You see, the word Jesus is, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. I love that bit. I love the Jesus who will save me from my sins. Thank you, Jesus. But it's not that. It's believe on the Lord Jesus. And the Lordship brings responsibility. It has to bring a response. It's not just a matter, oh, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, thank you, that's great. Look forward to seeing you there. Right? But don't ignore me, will you, when you get to heaven? Don't pretend you've not met me, no. Um, but it's his lordship. You cannot separate. You cannot have saviour without lord. You cannot have lord without saviour. It just doesn't work. How do we maintain his lordship in our lives? Well, first of all, I've got to say, I don't, I, I don't find it easy. I've been a Christian like thousands of years, and I still find challenges. Oh, they've changed over the years. The things I found a challenge when I was a teenager, I don't find a challenge now. The challenges have changed, but there is always a challenge there. And I think there's a clue in this verse, and it's a verse that's caused a lot of people problems over the years. It says, no man can say Christ is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. Some people actually thought that was some sort of test of the demonic. I don't think it's got anything to do with them at all. 
I think it's this. If this man, Gordon Neal, is going to say Jesus is Lord, he's only going to be able to do it through the help and the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Can't be achieved. I can't do it on my own. I can't make Jesus Lord of my life. I, can't. I need the Holy Spirit's help. I need to be filled afresh with the Spirit of God. Ephesians tells us, be being filled with the Spirit. Somebody said, why do we have to keep on being filled with the Spirit? Well, you've heard it before. It's because we leak. We leak. And today's filling will not satisfy tomorrow. See me through. And so we can only declare that Jesus Christ is Lord by the Holy Spirit. You may have a different interpretation of that verse. That's fine. We're not in competition. That's how I read it. That if Gordon Neal is ever to say, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, that I've arrived at this point, I tell you, it won't be me. It'll have been a work of the Holy Spirit and his word and the fellowship of the saints in that way. You've listened really well. Let me just move on a little bit further, if I may. In our reading earlier, we find here in that chapter we read together, it said, he is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus Christ is Lord, but he is God. So our Lord is another than divine Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He continues in verse 16. He is sovereign creator of the universe, the firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and through him. In other words, he is Lord of everything, visible, invisible, principalities, powers. He's Lord of all. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God hath exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every. Some of you are a little intimidated by the powers of darkness. Don't be. Every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow. And the secret is this. You get on your knees before him, and I'll tell you, some of the company you think you've got will soon disappear because he is Lord. And so this Lordship of Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you have seen me, Jesus said, you have seen the Father. Imagine that. You know, um, the other day, I don't know what happened. I started singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, and my wife thought, I thought at last I'd become a Christian. (laughs) After all these years of being a minister. I don't know what happened. I just started singing it. It must have been nothing on the telly. You know, I don't know. I just started singing, and you know what? It blessed me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little, oh, right, overweight ones to him belong. <laughs> he, I am weak, but he is strong. Why is he strong? Because he's Lord. He's Lord. So he's the image of the invisible. He's sovereign over all the universe. It tells us that verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. With the greatest respect to Pastor Colin and the rest of the ministry team, Simon, the rest of the team, we are, they are not the head of this church. Jesus Christ is. We are his ministers and we will seek to do what our best before the Lord, of whom we will give an account, be in no doubt about it. But he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead. Okay? And he, that in him everything he might have the preeminence. 
So in all things, he is to have the preem, his lordship. He's got, there's no competition. It's his. He's God. He's Lord. We submit to him. We sanctify him in our hearts. We set him, we, we seek to, he's Lord of all. I'm trying to get you to think, do you know, I, I'd like to, and it won't happen now I've said it, but sort of the wow factor. Wow, I just didn't realise who he is. I just had it reconfirmed to me that Jesus Christ is none other than the Son of God. He's the supreme ruler. He's the creator. He's all of this. And I'm going to take him home with me. The wow factor of his lordship. And Colossians is like that. He's saying he's the creator of all things, before all things. Verse 20 says there, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. When he's Lord, God is Lord. There's no competition. There's no separation. There's no competition within the Godhead. None at all. There's subordination, but no inferiority. Father will submit, the Spirit submits to the Son. It's, that's, that's not a problem at all. But there's no subordination. We haven't got number one, number two, and number three. They're all number one. They're all ministering. And he is set apart that God hath made pleased to have him all the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. The death of Jesus Christ is the most momentous event this world has ever known. If you think Brexit is momentous, I've said it now, haven't I? You know, pray for our country, won't you? Pray, please, please, please pray that he hath... Sorry, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth, here we go again, or things in heaven, making what? Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. His lordship, his authority, his reconciliation of all things to himself are on the basis of what? A parliamentary decision? A referendum? A vote at the United Nations? No. God hath made him Lord of all. Why? Well, we're told here quite simply, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it was the greatest act of reconciliation. All that Adam lost us was restored. Separation. It was restored as we come to Christ. And so we stand back and we hear Peter saying in Acts 2, when 3,000 came to faith, he's saying, this same Jesus. He had some bottle, didn't he? This same Jesus you crucified, God hath made Lord of all, both Lord and Christ. Great sermon. The first sermon, if you like, of the church had at its core the deity, the sovereignty, and the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews tells us that in these last days he has spoken to us through his Son. Before it was through the prophets, now through his Son. In Hebrews 1.4 it says, He's made more superior than the angels. He has much more glory than Moses, chapter 3.3. 3. And 4.8, he is our conqueror. He is our Joshua. He is our Aaron. He is a priest ever before God ministering to us. So tonight... Hopefully, once again, I don't expect I've said anything you didn't know, but just to encourage you to reinforce 
this in your hearts, that when you became a Christian, you didn't just accept Jesus Christ, you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we go home and we look at our lives, we look in the mirror and just look at ourselves and say, is he Lord of my life? You'll probably say, well, not all of it. Then why not re-surrender those areas where he's not Lord? Whatever they may be, I'm not going to even suggest things. But you know maybe where you're still Lord. Maybe where you're in charge and he's not. You say, that sounds very religious, Gordon. It's not religious. You'll actually find that when I find that when he's Lord of a situation, life is better. When religion's around, I find my shoulders go down and I think, oh, what's this all about? But when I acknowledge his lordship, when I realise he is the creator, the supreme one, the invisible one, the one who died, the one who shed his blood, and again I say reverently, the one who's going to go home with me tonight. How can I not make him lord of all? I said earlier that... um, the, 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 the evening I became a Christian. And do you know what? You actually become a Christian. You're, you're not born a Christian. You might think, well, I've been in this country. You know, I was born in this country or I was born in another country and my family are Christians. Therefore, I must be a Christian. Afraid, I'm afraid you cannot inherit Christianity. I inherited my baldness from my dad. Yeah, it was my dad, yes. You know? You can't inherit Christianity. You have to become one yourself. My children cannot inherit Christianity from me. My grandchildren cannot inherit their Christianity from their parents. No, no, you have to decide. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do I have to believe? First of all, you have to believe that he shed his blood on the cross for your sins. Your sin is nothing else than the way you have fallen short of God's standard. One illustration is an archer. You take the bow, you draw it back, and no matter how hard you try, you never hit the target. That's what sin is. Always falling short of what God requires. And because of that, God didn't leave us to struggle along knowing that we were constantly going to fall short. He sent his son who stepped forward. None other than the eternal word of God who became a baby in the manger, who works in the carpenter's shop, and now after rising from the dead is seated at the right hand of the Father and is here tonight to offer you the forgiveness that you need, to offer you the peace that you need, to offer you this new life that comes through Christ and to give you an opportunity to have someone else in charge of your life other than yourself Say, oh, I like to be in charge of my life. Well, get on with it then. But if you'd like to think that maybe God could be involved in my life, that I could know peace with him, know my sins forgiven, may I say, you've not come to this service by chance. He knew you were coming and he sent me to tell you that.